you're listening to the Catalyst Church of Carrollton podcast. We hope this message speaks to you and encourages you. You can find more messages by searching Catalyst Church of Carrollton on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Learn more at IamCatalyst.net. Christmas is for real. I want us to really still ourselves. I know you probably got a lot on your mind, not just a lot of moving parts today. And I hope people are kind of moving back in as we uh, jump into this thing. And I don't have nearly as much time as I usually do, which is a good thing for y'all's lunch breaks or whatever. Will you lift your hands right now? And I just snarl too. It's going to be that type of message. Y'all ready? Lord, I just, I know that you were here, that we celebrate you on Christmas. We celebrate Emmanuel, God with us. You were with us in every moment. Lord, make us aware of your presence, Lord. Help us have the faith to work your presence. Lord, still our spirits. Lord, whatever's going on in our lives, just help us still it for a moment so that we can open up our heart. Lord, we want the love of Christmas, the hope of you and Christmas to become our reality because it is real, but it has to become our reality. We got to work it for it to work. And I just thank you, Lord, make Christmas for real for us. Say it with me, Catalyst. Say, make it for real for me. Lord, speak. Say it, Catalyst. Say, speak. Lord, speak to me and through me in Jesus' name. Amen. As you're seated, tell somebody my week three of this series, say Christmas is for real. That's my title. Oh, yeah. So my mother told me a story growing up. All right, absolutely. It told me about a man named Kubok. Kubok, it just hit me a while back. Kubok, Kubok was a street missionary. He was a street evangelist. His congregation was the streets, the people on the streets, the homeless and Kubok, uh, my mother would tell me this, and, and it was awesome at my age that there was a guy whose name sounded like Tupac. It was awesome. But Kubok, the thing about it, when mama would tell me about this guy, it would sound like she was telling me about a tall tale, but it wasn't a tall tale, man. It was a true story. Kubok was for real. And... Um, Kubok was just all about, he was passionate about the homeless and about people that were living on the streets and, and poverty. He was passionate about it. He wanted to fill them. He wanted to fill their pain. He wanted to love them with the love of God the way they needed to receive it. So Kubok did something crazy. He became homeless. I remember mama telling me about this. He wanted to reach them, relate to them, connect with them, draw close to them. He wanted to be able to love them on the level that they needed to be loved so that they could have life change the way they needed to have life change. And every time mama would tell me, she'd come home for her long day at Sony Music back in the day, for anybody that remembers that here, and she would tell me about Kubok. And Kubok, when he became homeless, he prayed, Lord, when I do this, and he didn't just do it for two minutes or two days. He did it for a long season. He prayed, God, I want to feel the pain of poverty. I want to feel it. I want to experience it. He went all in. He stripped himself of every privilege. He did it. He went hungry. He lived on the streets. He gave himself no way out. He was looked at by other people like a waste of air because they didn't know he was a missionary. They knew that Kubok was a street He was a street guy. He was like all the rest of them. That's the way they looked at him. And he experienced the deep depression and anxiety of of poverty and to be homeless and the anxiety and and the insecurity and the timidness. He experienced all of it. My mother used to tell me this. She used to say, man, he did that so that he could love them and understand them and connect with them. It was like it resonated with me at such a young age. And there's a reason for that. It resonated with me because it it was heroic, man. That's what Christmas is. That's why Christmas is still the most relevant holiday in our world. 
That's what happened. The king of kings became one of us. He didn't make a king's entrance. He didn't try to intimidate us or, or, or um, intimidate us or, or um, impress us or wow us with extravagance. The king of kings, the true goat, the true greatest of all time came as a baby. He lived as a nobody and eventually 33 years later would die as a criminal even though he was not a criminal. The prophet Isaiah, I don't even have, just so y'all know, I don't even have any, any outline today. I just want to share some scripture before we go out of here. The prophet Isaiah foretold of Jesus. He said, who would have believed what we heard? Who would have even believed it? A king. Coming down like that. Who saw the Lord's power in this? He grew up like a small plant before the Lord, like a root growing in a, growing in a dry land. He had no special beauty or form to make us notice him. There was nothing, nothing in his appearance to make us desire him. He was hated and rejected by people. He had much pain and suffering. I don't see any goats or any kings or any baddest of the bad or the best of the best out there suffering much. Not the way he suffered. People would not even look at him. He was hated and, he, and we didn't even notice him. But he took our suffering on him and felt our pain for us. He was the, he was the real Kubot man. We saw his suffering and thought God was punishing him. But he was wounded for the wrong we did. He was crushed for the evil we did. The punishment which made us well was given to him. And we are healed by his wounds. Christmas is God reaching down, relating to you, connecting with you, drawing close to you, being near to you. To Jesus felt everything we feel. He experienced everything we could experience because he wanted to understand you. He wanted to draw near to you. He, he was bound by everything you're bound by. He battled everything you have ever or ever will battle. He was rejected. He was betrayed just like you are at times. He felt poverty. He felt it all. He was misunderstood. He was eventually killed as a criminal because people didn't like him so they tried to kill they killed him man christmas is for real it's for real he is emmanuel he is god with us and he wasn't afraid to get in the mud with our messiness and dysfunction either that is who he is man and you can do you can do some things you can you can run from it you can avoid it you can fight against it you can feel unworthy of it you can run from it you can walk away from it, but Christmas is for real. The hope and the love of Jesus, what we celebrate on Christmas is for real. His love is for real. I wrote an article in the Christmas issue of Star News yesterday called The Hope and Love of God Are For Real. Christmas is for real. It it, life is raw, but his love is for real. He is with you. He is for you. And he came down 2,000 years ago because he wasn't afraid of anything that you've done, will do, or been done to you. That. That is love. And I just want to share it with you for the next few minutes. Tell somebody it's for real. It's for real. It's raw, but it's for real. And for you to understand the Christmas story, you've got to know the whole story. See, for you to appreciate, I think a lot of us, we cherry pick, or most everybody, we cherry pick the Bible, but we really don't understand the whole story. Because for you to understand it and receive it and appreciate it for what it is and for it to change you the way it needs to change you and heal you the way you need to be healed, you need to know the whole story. 
We live in a world right now where we, 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 we live off sound bites. We make posts off memes. We make posts off fake news and all that stuff. We make, we make posts. We go around. We don't know the whole story. And it's the same way in the Christmas story. You really don't know the whole story. And for it to really change, you've got to know it. You've got to know it. So I want to tell you the whole Christmas story. The whole Christmas story for all of us that have been in church our whole life but really don't know the whole story because most of us don't. The Old Testament is the story of Israel and God and his relationship and working in them. The New Testament is Jesus and the church. We carried that on. In between the Old and New Testament is about 400 years. It's often referred to as the 400 years of silence. 400 years of silence. If you go back to the, to the Old Testament, Israel had a push-pull relationship with, Jesus, with God. It was Jesus too. A push-pull Kind of like a dysfunctional dating relationship. And all you people aren't too far removed. Some of you are 70 years old, still got a push-pull relationship with dating. I love you. I hate you. You're my person. I'm going to break up with you. We're for real uh, in a relationship. It's complicated, single, but, but repeat, repeat, you know, same song, same crap. I got some humans in the place right now. Yeah, push, pull, push, pull. That was Israel's history in the Old Testament with God. For all my people that couldn't relate to that or were too ashamed to, like a high school athlete. That is like, going, can go anywhere they want. And we live in a world right now, you play games and gimmicks. You, they decommit, commit, don't commit, go to the college that they want to go to. Then now we got this thing called a transfer portal. So they, they, they go to 17 other schools in their four years because we push, pull, we're committed, decommitted. That was Israel. And if I didn't make that analogy clear, it's because you don't want it to be clear. They, were, they, would, they would push God away, pull him close. They would, he would bless them, then they would get complacent. They would make bad choices. They would end up in slavery, back in slavery. Bless, repeat, rebuild, same crap, same song. You feel me? Does it sound familiar? The Bible is your story. That's why you have to appreciate it for what it is. You have to know the whole story because it is your story. It is my story. We are all the same. We are predictable. We are predictable. Even our instability and our stupidity and our stubbornness is predictable. We are all the same. It crosses cult. Dysfunction crosses cultural lines. It crosses generations. You just don't like it because the younger people or younger people you don't like because the older people because they're dysfunctional in a different way than you. It's the same dysfunction, just looks a little different. The Bible is your story. It is our story. And his love is for real. So that 400 years, so the last prophet, Malachi, in the last book of the Old Testament, he starts out the book, he's, uh, God says through Malachi, he says, Israel, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And Israel responds, but how have you loved us? <laughs> we do it all the time, man. Do it all the time. We may not be that blatant. Some of you are more blatant, but we do it. It, there's a prophet in the Old Testament. God had Hosea marry a prostitute named Gomer. The man literally gave her a good life. Three kids took her off the streets, healed her, blessed her. You know what? After that good life, she didn't feel worthy of it. She walked away from it, went back to the streets. God said, Hosea, go buy her back even though she's your husband because this is what Israel has done to me. And it's not just Israel that does it. It's you and me. Tell the person next to you, that's you. Now tell the person that said that, it's you too. Push, pull, push, pull, push, pull, decommit, commit. It happened for all the, all the Old Testament. That's the narrative. And in the last book of the 400 years before Jesus, God says, to Malachi, or God says through Malachi, I am the Lord God, I change not. 
but he immediately, he went silent for 400 years. Oh, he was working. Just like in your life, long seasons, you don't feel him, you don't see him, you don't understand what's going on, doesn't make any sense. He went silent for 400 years till that first Christmas. Could you imagine, I don't even think we can understand this, the people of Israel, how hard it was. They were stubborn, they were hard, they did dumb stuff, but they saw the promise of God straight right in front of them. They saw miracles. We read and try to, try to disprove Jesus' miracles. Man, Israel were walking in it. They saw, they saw unpenetrable walls collapse like Jericho. They saw God part the Red Seas to take them. They were the ultimate underdogs. Americans, we don't understand being underdogs. We just understand griping because we're spoiled. They literally saw it all. They saw they would be, he, they won unwinnable wars. Because they saw that, could you imagine a people like Israel who all of a sudden God said, I'm done doing this for a minute. I'm not changing, but you're not going to hear me for a while. 400 years. And this period is called the 400 years of silence between the Old and New Testament. In that time, this is what happened. This is in between the story. This is, bef- this is what set up Christmas. In that time period, the Greeks came into power. The Greek, Greece. You remember in your, in your schools, you read about Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great rode in and he took Israel. And Alexander the Great was called Alexander the Conqueror for a reason. He was arrogant. And he didn't want to just destroy Israel. He wanted them to hurt. He wanted them to suffer. See, Romans... Romans were arrogant because they learned from Alexander the Great. That's why when they crucified Jesus, they killed him in a way it would take a long time to die and suffer. The way Alexander the Great did that, he he could have wiped them off the face of the earth, but he wanted them to see it. So what he did is he knew what was valuable to Israel, their lineage. So he had the Greek men rape their women for years. So in the New Testament, you don't understand when Jesus is talking to the woman at the Samaritan, the, the Samaritan woman at the well. Samaritans in the days of Jesus were half-breeds. They were mixed Hebrew and Greek blood. They were, they were, they were, they were the remnants. You know about it. You've been something through something traumatic and you see something and it shouldn't even hurt you the way it does. They were the reminders of the most, they were the scars of the most traumatic period in Jewish history. The 400 years that they didn't see him, they didn't feel him. They served Greek and Hebrew gods. They were multiple gods. They, they were pagans and Hebrews. You think I'm playing? So, you know the Greek. So, the New Testament isn't even written in Hebrew. You know what it was written in originally? Greek. Aramaic. When Mel Gibson made The Passion of the Christ, one of my favorite things is the movie is in Aramaic. Jesus' primary language wasn't Hebrew, even though he was a Hebrew kid. Do you know why? Aramaic is a mixture between Greek and Hebrew. This was the carryover. They were sitting in a time period of voice. You ever sat in a season where you're just looking back at all the baggage that you're sitting in because of years of things that just didn't go right? That's where Israel was before that first Christmas. They, were, they had to look right in the face of the mistakes they made. You have to look at the things you've done to your kids, the shame. You didn't feel God. You didn't see God. 
Your bad decisions, the bad things that were done to you, they were sitting there. There was also a king named, a king named, a Greek king named Antiochus Epiphanes who rode in. You remember reading about the temple? For those of you who read the Bible a little bit, it was all about it in the Old Testament. They made this huge temple. Antiochus Epiphanes rode into Jerusalem. This is all in the 400 years. He erected a Greek statue of Zeus in their temple. And he sacrificed a pig on the altar of incense. He did this to trample and trespass and, and literally run everything that meant anything to their culture in the ground. 400 years. Finally, Israel would recapture and retake control of their land only to be taken up by the Roman Empire. And so we come up to the first Christmas and they're even captives to, the, to Rome. 400 years. 400 years. 400 years they didn't see him. They didn't feel him. All those miracles they saw, they read about in the New Testament. Generations didn't get to see it. They probably didn't even believe in it anymore. 400 years. But God, they didn't see him. They didn't feel him just like you don't in some seasons. But he was setting up the stage for the biggest move in human history. He was working through that 400 years. There's some things in your life you don't see them, you don't feel them. They don't make sense what people have done to you, the, the circumstances you're living in. But he is setting the stage because the Bible is your story. It's our story. 400 years and then he finally speaks. Luke chapter 1. Finally speaks. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing. Check this out. I love the Bible. Standing to the right of the incense altar where just 100 or 200 years before the Greeks sacrificed a pig to just trample on their God and all while their women were getting raped so that their bloodline was torn apart. God did nothing. He was silent. But right here where God speaks for the first time in 400 years, he did it right at the place where they trampled on. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. John the Baptist. The Old Testament predicted that there would be a, a, an Elijah figure. John the Baptist would be, that to f- be the forerunner of Jesus. He would declare, he's here, and he's working, and that's who John was. God had, God had not spoken in 400 years. He said, you will have great joy and gladness. And many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. You know what Zechariah did? He hadn't heard. His great-grandparents haven't even heard the miracle of God. So you know what he did? He doubted that. Wouldn't you? Zechariah was old. Joy and gladness. I just want to die in peace. You're going to have a baby. They've been trying to have babies their whole life. He's like, Elizabeth is old, man. That, that, that oven has clo- been, been closed. That ship sailed a long time ago. We're just trying to have some peace. 400 years and Zechariah doubted it. Now check this out. You know what God does? God silences him until John the Baptist is born. He mutes him because it was God. He was working the whole time, but now he was speaking. He was speaking. 400 years, he finally shows his cards a little. The Bible's your story, y'all. Could you imagine, Zechariah, when God, like, like, could you imagine when God finally, you feel like things are kind of lining up, and you're like, no, 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 they've never really worked out. The bubble's always bursted. The Bible's your story, y'all. It's your story. You don't know why, why your parents, why, God, where were you? Where were you when, your, when, when, your, when my parents 
abandoned me, when they beat me, when they abused me? Where were you, God, when that person trespassed me sexually and it's torn my life apart ever since? Where were you when the car wreck happened? Because there was no angels that saved my loved one and my body's still feeling the effects of all the broken vertebrae in my back. Where were you? I've had to fight for everything in my life and I've had to fight and, and people get it handed to them and I've had to fight, fight, fight. Where were you? Where were you? Where were you? I raised my kids right and they still turned out wrong. Where were you, God? I don't feel you. I don't see you. I've, I've had long seasons, not just seasons. People are like, it's just a season. Well, some of you, you feel like your whole life has been a season of strain, stress, setbacks. Nothing comes easy. Nothing. When things actually, blessings happen, you're afraid because they've never really lasted. That's where Israel was. The Bible is your story. It is our story. It is our story. You may not see him. You may not feel him. And I'm not a fool. There's people here right now and online that you don't even believe in him anymore. You walked away from that a long time ago because life is too much of the proof for you. That's what's real to you, your circumstances. What you feel. You walked away a long time ago. But the Apostle Paul said about Jesus, he said that Jesus came in the fullness of the time. In the fullness of the time. The perfect time, y'all. Well, if you could see this for your own story. Now, practically, it was the perfect time, too, because the Romans made roads. For the first time ever, the gospel and the love of God and the hope of Christmas could be spread throughout the world because Romans, you remember the Roman roads? They could go all throughout the world, which is why 2,000 years later, it was the fullness of the time why I can stand across the world and preach about the hope of Christmas. God made his move at the perfect time. The perfect time. In your life, he's making a move. You may not feel it, you may not see it, but he's doing some things and it's time for you to, uh, to, to align your life with it. Because you've lived in default mode and some things, bad things have happened and you made them a lot worse. And Paul said, he has come in the fullness of the time. God made a move to show his love, not just to Israel, but the entire world. He made the move of all moves. And he was setting that move up for 400 years. Oh, he was with them when they were getting raped. And, and he was with them when, when they were trampling on their, on their God, on their faith, and everything else. He, was, they, he, he, he may have been silent, but he was moving. And that right there, it's your story. It's your story. You ever notice how we live in a culture where everybody wants to be the king? Everybody wants to be the best. Everybody wants to be the goat, right? The best of the best. Baddest of the bad. Jeff Bezos, richest Jeff Bezos. Want to be, they want to be LeBron. Tom Brady, which I will officially say he is the goat, no doubt about it. Everybody wants to be the goat. Everybody wants to be the king. But notice that nobody ever wants to be Jesus. How many times you heard about, I mean, the goat of all goats, the baddest of all the bad, the best of the best, the king of kings. Nobody wants to be King Jesus. Nobody. You want his credit, but you don't want the cross. You don't want the 33 years. You wish you'd have died a lot sooner. You had to live like that. We don't want it. You know why we don't want it? Because the king of kings became one of us. He wasn't a, he wasn't a billionaire he wasn't a billionaire. He was a baby. That's how he came. 
That's how he came. He wasn't neon Dion high-stepping in the end zone. He didn't have millions of Twitter followers. Man, them jokers didn't, they didn't even have room for the king of kings when he came. That's why nobody wants to be King Jesus. Nobody wants to be that goat. Could you imagine this man came, they didn't have room for him. His mama had to give birth on him, with, uh, give birth to him in a floor where animals drop deuces. This was a feeding trough. We do this manger like over here and it's beautiful and everything. Think about turds everywhere. That's where she gave birth. That, that, that made, that's a feeding trough where animals slobber. You remember what happened there? It happened right there a few times. And that's where, he t- laid his, that's where she laid him down. Yeah, nobody wants to be King Jesus for a reason. You don't pray for that. You don't pray for that. So we love to appreciate Jesus, and he was the goat of all goats. Nobody wants to be him, though. I don't want to be him. That's why, because he is the ultimate, the ultimate love, because he became one of us. One of us. One of us, and he did it for you. Not just for everybody, for you. He wanted to prove for once and for all that he is for you. He is with you. And there may be seasons that you don't see him. And honestly, you may die one day and not everything not make sense. So that's okay because his love will carry you to the next life too. Because some things will never make sense. Man, check this out. Hebrews, I love the writer of Hebrews. Explain why he did it, why Christmas happened. Because God's children are human beings. Made of flesh and blood, the son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he be set, could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. He wasn't afraid of your junk, man. He's still not afraid of it. Man, Paul tells the church at Rome, the capital of the baddest of the bad. They ended up killing him. Paul said, no, Paul said in confidence, he said, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Not life, not death, not angels, not demons. He says, not even the power of hell. You ain't got nothing to be scared of. Quit being scared of living. Quit being scared of dying. Quit being scared of other people. Quit being scared of yourself because you are your biggest enemy when you live like he is not real, like Christmas is not for real. He loves you, man. Christmas is for real. He is for you. He is the ultimate king. But he wasn't afraid to feel what you feel. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, the writer continues, Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us. To feel everything. Because we all hurt the same. You hear me say that a lot. People are like, how do you preach what you preach? And you hit me. Like sometimes I think you're talking to me. No, I'm talking to me too. We all hurt the same. A little different details. We hurt the same. It says it was necessary every respect like us. His brothers and sisters. You know God calls you friend. He told his disciples, don't call me master. Call me friend. Brother, sister, father. He's whatever you need him to be. He did it so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest. How can he be merciful if he doesn't understand what you feel and what you experience in this life? He'd just be above you. Like you look at everybody, all the LeBrons of the world. I can never be that. I can never do that. God came down. He reached down to you. That is Christmas. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people since he himself 
has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. You ever had that person, they've been through what you've been through? They've experienced it and you, you, you draw near because what they've come out of, you, can, you see hope in it. Well, when you see somebody that tells you, I know what you're going through. They're, they're not hurting. They're with Jesus. And you're like, please get out of here. They're not with me. That's the problem. Somebody that knows what you feel like. It says he became every, in every respect like us. He has been tested so that you can have hope in your test. And that's why he did it. He is the ultimate. We love the Me Too movement, right? Jesus is the ultimate Me Tooer. Yeah, I said it. He is. The ultimate me to her says that he has been tested in every way like us to fill your pain. You want me to just give you a few examples? Here's one. Here's several. I could name it all. I could name every emotion and scar you have and I could show you in scripture where he dealt with it. Let's just go with a few. Abandonment. Abandonment. He's on the cross. That man lived like we are supposed to live in the presence of his heavenly father. And for a moment on the cross, he did not feel him. He felt abandoned by him. And what? He was honest with his feelings. I love the scholar, the uh, theologian recently said Jesus became an atheist for a moment. He said that, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was honest with the feelings that he had in that moment because he felt abandoned by the one person that had kept him his entire mission. Overlooked, man. Look at all the people that overlooked and they tried to falsely accused. They ended up killing him for something he didn't do because they couldn't, they couldn't debate with him. They have falsely accused him. You ever been falsely accused? Everybody slanders you and you're like, it didn't go down like that. Yeah, he lost his life for that. You want another one? Here we go. Jesus was passionate. Like, y'all know me. If anybody's new here, they're like, man, that joke gets loud. Yeah, I'm passionate. I'm all, passionate all the time. See me at home. Kids and angels like, man, take down your volume. I love it because Jesus was passionate. He felt things. Joker, the Bible says, zeal for his house consumed him. He walked in a temple, started turning over tables, and the Bible said he made whips. He didn't just grab a whip. I mean, I mean, you're going to see a whip on the wall, you come in here. Man, made whips. Somebody whips out whips, you're going to be like, I'm running. This Joker's crazy. Jesus had passion. All you quiet folks, that's awesome too because he did that too. He sat down when he preached a couple times. I don't do that. You're more like Jesus than me there. He understands you. He was overlooked, underappreciated. His own people, I read it last week, tried to push him over a cliff when he came home and he was the preacher. They didn't like what he had to say. They were jealous. Everything, he dealt with death. There's a reason you don't see his earthly father Joseph after he was 12 years old throughout the Bible. The man died. He lost his daddy. Everything you could ever feel. I could go on and on and on. His closest friends all ran when he went to the cross. One of the best ones, Peter, that we love to preach about. Man denied him three times. The only one he had one friend that stayed and held his mama while he suffocated to death on a cross. He understands. He came because he wanted you to know, man, Christmas is for real. I didn't come trying to lift myself up. That's why he teaches us, I will, I will humble those that exalt themselves and I will exalt those who humble themselves. Amen. He was the ultimate humility, humility. The Bible says that he took the form of a slave, that he emptied himself. That's Christmas. That's Christmas. And he did it for you. Me too. 
He wanted you to know, me too. You're hurting right now, me too. I am God and I still hurt like you because I want you to know that I'm, I'm for you. Jesus himself said in John 15, he said, this is my command. Love each other as I have loved you. The greatest love a person can show us is to die for his friends. What did he do? He proved it. He didn't just say it. He didn't just preach it. He did it. He lived. He came. He showed up. I know a lot of people right now. We live in a, we have a country that with so many fatherless homes. You had not that many people show up for you. He showed up. He showed up. He came. He was willing to come. He lived. He died and he beat death so that you don't have to fear a thing. You don't have to fear a thing. Whatever they do to you, they can do to you. Whatever happens to you, he's got you. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And he says the greatest love is to die for your friends. And what did he do? He died for you. He came for you. Y'all, tell somebody Christmas is for real. It's for real. It's raw, but it's for real. He is the ultimate kubah. He wanted to feel what you feel. To experience it so that he could relate to you, so that he could show you once and for all, for all time. I am crazy about you. You just need to line your life and faith up and know it and not settle for anything less. Even Gandhi, who was not a Christian, made the statement. He said, There is no greater majesty. It's beautiful, man. No greater majesty. No greater majesty and beauty than that of the manger, the nativity scene. He reached down. Every religion, people ask me all the time, well, what separates Christianity from everything else? I'll tell you, it's easy. A personal God. Christianity is an Eastern religion, not an American religion. Eastern religions like Buddhism and Hinduism, they're all about discipline and, and, and aligning yourself with the divine. Man, we have a God who came down and is nothing like it. He loves you. He wanted to connect with you and draw near to you and love you on, on, a, on so that you could really receive love for what it was. That is where Gandhi said there is no greater beauty than the manger. And I know that tragedy has taken toll on your life, man. Mistakes has made a mess in your life. COVID-19 and probably the decisions you made because of disconnect, the people you've lost way too soon, it has is, it is left you a wreck, a mess. Dysfunction, addiction, divorce, whatever the hell is, I'm telling you, it left a mess, but Christmas is for real. Tell somebody right now, say it's for real. Christmas is the proof. When you experience Christmas, whether it's alone or with everybody in the room that you love, listen to me, Christmas is the proof that he is not afraid of what you've been through. He is not afraid of the anger that you feel towards him or anybody else. He is not afraid of your mess. He got in the dirt with you, man. That's why he was born in crowd, literally. He's not afraid of it. He'll never be afraid of it, ever. The things that you brought on yourself and the decisions that you continue to make and the excuses you make and the people that you will, you will, you will attack because you won't be accountable for what you did. All the things he's not afraid of them, that's why he went to the cross. And it started at Christmas. Started at Christmas. He will get in the dirt with you. He is the God that wasn't afraid of the mud. Man, I, must, I'm, I hate getting dirty. I'm thankful that Jesus doesn't does not care about getting dirty because he proved it on Christmas. 
He is absolutely crazy about you. Emmanuel, God with us. See, the Old Testament Israel, they understood this more than we do today. They knew that there was no one word or any words that could sum up God, his love, who he is, his heart. So that's why you see a lot of names throughout the Old Testament and New Testament. Names. Probably going to do a series on definitions because they, we like the sound of names. Their names meant something. So they would, they would give terminology to describe attributes and his love and who he was. So Emmanuel means God with us. He is for you. He is with you. But there are many more. Jehovah Jireh. The Lord, my provider. He will provide for you. The Apostle Paul tells the church at Philippi that he will provide for you from his glorious riches. Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Rapha, which means the Lord, my healer. I know that you need a, a lot of people. There's some people that need physical healing, but he can give you mental, emotional healing. He can give you whatever you need. I don't know how much trauma you've been through. Look, I've, I preached just a little bit of the trauma Israel went through and the people in the New Testament. I don't know what healing you need, but he is Jehovah Rapha. He is the Lord you're healing. He will give you peace no matter what you have to face, no matter what. If you have to face it alone, he is Jehovah Rapha. He, the, 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 they cried out to him. They called him Jehovah Shalom, which means God, the Lord, your peace. He's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning of the end. But right now we are in the middle and you may be in a mess and you may not have your head on straight or know your butt from a hole in the ground. But in the middle, Jesus said, peace I leave, I give to you. The Apostle Paul said that the peace that passes all understanding will guard your hearts in who? In Christ Jesus. He is shalom. He is the peace right in the middle. Quit praying for the breakthrough and quit whining about what's behind you. Right now, he is Emmanuel. And Israel understood it in the, New Te- in the Old Testament. They said he is Jehovah shalom. He is Jehovah Nisi, which means God, the Lord, my refuge and my banner. Refuge, man. Quit looking for refuge in men and women and money and respect. The Bible says he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. He is your safe place. People struggle coming to church because they're like, I just don't feel safe in church. That's because you don't feel safe in him. You can sit at online. We love you and we'll serve you and love you from a distance. But you sitting at home because you don't feel safe in church. I get it. Church hurt me as bad as anybody for a long time. But until he's your safe place, you're not even going to be safe in your own skin. He is Jehovah Nisi. He is your refuge, your banner. Your banner. In the Old Testament, they used to ride in on horses and they would have their banner to show who they were fighting for. And he says, he is our banner. He fights for you. He told Moses, when Moses with Egypt was about to just kill them all, before he parted the Red Seas, he said, you need only to be still, the Lord will fight for you. You don't have to get on social media and try to prove to your ex that you're righteous or prove to your employer that you're worthy and they're pieces of crap because he is your banner. The Bible calls him your advocate. Jesus is your advocate. He is Jehovah Nisi. He is your refuge. My mother used to pray Psalm 91, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. The Bible, the psalmist writes that I cried out to the Lord and he heard my cry. He hears you. 
He is Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, your refuge. And then last week, I want to do one more. There's many. Last week when I watched Christmas with the Chosen, it just took me back. I just bawled like a baby because I, I love the story. He is Adonai Oroy. Adonai Oroy, which I love the story in Genesis because a lot of what's going on in the Middle East and honestly, America and our, the way we treat that, God didn't treat it that way. Hagar, if you don't know the story, I'll give you a, 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 an abbreviated version. Hagar was the master of Abraham and Sarah who were wonderful people, the father of our faith, but they were not perfect people. There are no such thing. And Abraham was in his mid-80s and God had promised him and Sarah a baby and they got tired of waiting and Sarah, the wifey's idea was to get Hagar, the maidservant, and, and, and said, Abraham, you need a baby. I can't give you one. Go get her pregnant. And Hagar did exactly what she was told by her master. She was doing what her master told her to do. And what happens is she gets pregnant and Sarah treats her like a side chick even though it was her idea for her to be the side chick and have the baby. This is the story that starts everything in the Middle East with the Arab nation and Israel. And you know how our God handles it? You want to hear this? This is amazing. Hagar realizes she became a villain by doing what she was told and she runs from Israel and she's out in the desert. And if you look in Genesis 16, God had never been called by this name before. And she lifts her hands and she says, you are Adonai Elroy. You are the God who sees me. Man, we try to villainize everybody in our life. It says, you see me. I love the NLT. It says, the one who sees, sees me. He sees you. I know what you've done. I don't know what shame you have. I don't know what closet secrets you're keeping. I don't know what insecurities you feel. I may have some people in here right now that are considering taking their own life because you think your family may suffer, but they'll be better off without you when it's over. And I want you to know he is Adonai Elroy. He is the God who sees you. He is interested in you. He is invested in you. He cares about you. It's about time that you start caring about him yourself. She lifted her arms alone, ran, scared, and God says, you go back to that camp. I see you. I see you. He sees you. Christmas is for real. There is nothing you can do to make him not for you. It's just time for you to be for him and for his plan for you. Will you stand to your feet right now, Catalyst? Will you just, whether it's in your heart, I'm telling you, he loves you so much and he was willing to come down as a baby and die as a criminal and live in the middle, a mess that none of us have ever had to deal with. And I want you to lift your hands right now and you can say it in your heart. The Bible says, draw near to him. Draw near to him. He He told Hagar, he said, go back home. And there's some people in here right now, you need to go back home or you need to go home for the first time. And I'm telling you, he says, the Bible says, draw near to him. You've got to draw near. You've got to develop a relationship with him. How in the world do you get your best friends and your your spouses and your marriage? You get to know them. You draw close to them every single day. Tough seasons and tragedy don't take you away. And if it does, divorce happens. Right now, just tell him in your heart. And some of you may want to say it aloud. Say, Lord, I'm drawing near. I'm coming near. 
Lord, I, w- I, wanna, I want you to be in my family. You can say it aloud or in your heart. Say, I want you to be in my family. I want you to be, I want you to return to my heart. Restore, Lord, my joy. Lord, I know I got some people, some addicts in here. You know, you know it, it is a curse. It is a choice, but it's a curse. And you speak to it right now. Say, Lord, you are for me. In your heart, I you are for me. I got some single mamas here that are about to lose their mind. Say it in your heart. Say, Lord, I know you are for me. Lord, help me. Give me strength. Be my fortress. Be my banner. I got some marriage struggles in here right now that you are considering either divorce or murder. Right now in your heart, say, Lord, or allowed if you don't have any fear, say, Lord, heal my marriage. Lord, heal my family. I got some, I got some people in here, you don't know what you want to do with your life. You don't know, you don't have a clue. And you're older than you should be not knowing what you want to do. Just say, Lord, I, I know that you are my clarity. You are my clarity. You are for me. I know that some of you, you feel overlooked. You feel unnoticed. You feel like you have nothing to offer. It's not just other people feel that way about you. You feel it about yourself. Say and say, God, you see me. You, you're interested. He fearfully and wonderfully made you. And he don't make junk. He may have been born on crap, but he doesn't make crap. Lord, you, Lord, I just pray that you would pour your presence out over us and online, Lord, because you are Emmanuel. You are with us. You are always with us. But, Lord, we need to be aware of it. We need to take Christmas for real. It can be, it's got to become for real for us, Lord. It's got to be our reason because you are our reason, Lord. You are for real. When we celebrate this Christmas, whether we're sorrowful, whether it's great, bad, mediocre, Lord, you are for real. Your love is for real. You are the hope. Say it, God, let's say Christmas is for real. Lord, I make it, Lord, I pray you make it for real for every person under the sound of my voice or whoever will be under the sound of my voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We'd love to know your story. Let us know how this message impacts your life. You can message us at info at imcatalyst.net. We're here for you and we are for you. If you have a prayer request, you can message us at prayer at iamcatalyst.net. To keep up with what's going on at Catalyst Church in Carrollton, visit us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Jesus cares about you. We care about you. And we hope you join us again on the Catalyst Church of Carrollton podcast.